from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Put my name up in the line! The Warriors are in an 0-2 hole to the Kings, but that's not the most significant part of what happened last night, no. It's the ejection of Draymond Green and the anticipation as we wait to see what the league is going to do next after an incident on the court. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And Harry, I mean, we've seen this. This has been chippy through the first couple of games. There's been several times where Sabonis of the Kings and Draymond Green of the Warriors have sort of gone at it under the rim. I've watched the officials. I've tried to figure out what they're trying to call last night. There was a moment where Sabonis fell to the ground. He very obviously grabbed Draymond's foot as Draymond went to take his foot away from this Draymond then also went full like stomp the, the old Broadway musical stomped on his chest and then started to run out uh, away from that that resulted in Sabonis uh, obviously getting attacked for the holding of the foot but Draymond also then getting ejected after it was ruled a flagrant two this is a huge moment he's out of the game once he left the game it went all off the rails for Golden State and now you have to sit here and say man is this thing over how are the Warriors going to rebound from Draymond not being able to finish that game and not knowing what's happening next. Well, Draymond is, gave us a showing of his inner Atlanta. He hit the A-Town stump on Sabonis. <laughs> Draymond, you can't do it. You can't do it. But I would say this first and foremost. Sabonis, you can't grab someone's foot, grab someone's ankle. All right? And I don't want that to get ignored because that's what instigated, that's what uh, initiated everything and the antics that we got from Draymond Green. On the flip side of that, though, Fitz, if you're Draymond, you have to understand how important you are to your team. Right. And your past history is going to come into effect in this case. Um, And then you're going to have it's only so much you can say, even though Draymond has a point to a certain degree. I just don't think you, you know, like a trampoline bounce up off the guy with your foot on him. I think there are other ways that you probably could have handled this. You probably could have just stood there or whatnot, not even moved. And I understand you had the ball, but if you would have just stood there, they probably would have called that. But I'm not going to give Sabonis a pass in this case. Because he's the reason why we're even having this conversation right now because of his antics. And the referees kind of reiterated that by giving him a technical. They gave Draymond a fragrant two. But Draymond, you got to be smarter than this, man. You, you're way too, too valuable to your basketball team. And you look at the numbers before Draymond Green got ejected and after, which was at the seven-minute mark before, the Kings had eight points, three for eight field goals, 38% shooting, three rebounds. After this happened, Fitz... I think they scored 25, 23 or 25 points. They were 10 for 15 field goal, on field goals, shot 67% and seven rebounds. So now Looney, your big, is in a position to where he has to guard guards in pick and roll situations. And he's in that drop coverage and getting taken advantage of. That's the position that Draymond put these, his uh, teammates in, and you just can't have it. This is what Draymond had to say at the press conference afterward, press conference afterwards about what happened between he and Sabonis. My leg got grabbed second time in two nights. Referees just watch it. I got to land my foot somewhere. And I'm not the most flexible person, so it's not stretching that far. So you didn't really see where you were stepping? You just kind of... I, I can only step so far. I'm pulling my leg away, so what was- it is what it is. 
Here's the thing, Harry. I, like, I don't disagree with the fact that his leg got uh, grabbed in game one. I yes. saw that when it happened at the time and thought it was kind of weird that the refs didn't call it. Sabonis does it again. You're right that that's going to be an antagonizing thing. But we also understand that's part of what happens in these series and these games. Like, You do that to get called on it. You're trying to get somebody to lose their cool, and it worked. Like, I buy the first half of what he says when he's like, the, my leg got grabbed, and they're just looking at it. Cool. It's the reaction part of this that just isn't going to fly. And there's no ownership even in his response there to the way, well, I'm just not that flexible. Okay, so you're telling me you had no choice but to stomp on the guy's chest? Like, there's no way the NBA can just take that. Plus, the other part of this conversation that I think is important with Draymond is the way he acted once he was kicked out of the game. I mean, Adam Silver was in the <laughs> building and watched him not only egging on the crowd, but using the, you know, using the adult-only language while he's doing it. You think Adam Silver's not not looking at all of this like when you're in that moment where you just got kicked out now you're going full wwe and you've got the reputation that Draymond has i'd be stunned frankly if the league doesn't suspend him for a game well i don't think he should be suspended right um because you look at both guys and how it initiated and he was instigated but he was the one that got the flagrant too right i, I think everything Dr uh, draymond said was correct up until a certain point right you can't you know hurdle off a, 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 an opposing team player's chest and think anyone's not going to think anything of it. Now, Sabonis can't sit there and grab another player's ankle in which it was Draymond in this case. I don't think a suspension uh, is the best thing in this, in this situation because we already know uh, from the past history of Draymond Green what a suspension calls the Warriors. Probably cost them a championship in, in a previous uh, series, right, versus the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. If you look at the series right now, it's 2-0 Sacramento leads. I think the Warriors still have opportunity to come back in this series. But if Draymond Green isn't playing, we just seen the numbers. The proof is in the pudding. The Warriors are going to be that much more uh, worse defensively already bad in which they are yeah, but playing that's against not, the Sacramento but, Kings team. But that's not the NBA's problem. Like, the NBA's well, problem I, I is know, but, but, the, but, the, but, the, but the NBA problem, uh, when it came to Mark Cuban, when they gave him a damn slap on the wrist – they could have made an example out of Mark Cuban. So yeah. don't sit up here and tell me you're going to suspend Draymond Green and you pick and choose who you're going to make examples out of. Yeah, but at the end of the day, there's a history of Draymond being in situations. We know that. And the stomp, the way it's being viewed over and over and over again, I mean – the, I, I hear you that it hurts the Warriors, but you know you know this from playing the game. How often did you did somebody when you were playing somebody mess with you, and then you finally retaliate, and that's when the ref throws the flag, and you're mad that the ref didn't throw the flag on the person that started the whole thing. But you know this, like your coaches taught you this, like you can't get caught retaliating. You got kids, you know you're telling your kids like, man, they only see you when you clap back. So you no, like 100. Like that's that's what happened to Draymond, right? Like, he, but, but I I don't think it's that serious to the point to where. We're, we're trying to suspend Draymond for a game. Like Sabonis going to get x-rays, that's extra, right? But let's talk about the flop right before this even happened when him and Klay Thompson are boxing each other out and he flops on the floor. So if he doesn't flop in the first place, he's not even on the ground to grab Draymond's ankle. So that's what I'm saying, right? I don't, I don't think a suspension of Draymond is warranted in this situation. Did he, did he do something wrong? Yes, he did. But so did Sabonis. And we're not going to sit here and act like Sabonis is just this sweet angel when we just mentioned that he did it in a previous game as 
as well. Yeah, but I, 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 the way I look at it, when you start talking about Draymond, you're also talking about like it or not. This is just the way the world works, right? Like there is a perception, and you know, I'll go back years ago. I was on the road with Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers always told me, you know, we all know perception is reality, but he always he took that phrase to a different level when he said, "Man, perception is the only thing that matters because not only do you live in it, you helped create it." And so at yeah. some point, the consequence <laughs> is you have to deal with what you helped create. There is a perception around Draymond in these situations, losing is cool. And then, like I said, when you stack on to the fact that national TV last night is watching him run around the floor like a WWE superstar trying to egg the crowd on, if you're Adam Silver, uh, what the analogy I used with you last week, like if you're, if you're speeding by a cop and you don't get pulled over, that's one thing. If you're speeding by a cop and you slam on the brakes and you flip up both hands to give him a double bird and you stick your tongue out at him, you're going to get pulled over. Like to me, all this extra stuff they're showing right now on 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 the app as we're talking of Draymond going off this doesn't help his cause the NBA is going to know that this is going to be played over and over and over again along with the foot stomp and slow motion I, I definitely think he's going to be sat for I'd be no, stunned no, if he's not yeah, sat for a game no I, I will say this though but what's new when, when it's come to Draymond like when stuff like this happens we always see him egg like you know go to the crowd yelling and screaming and clapping and doing that whole thing. So it's not like that's something new. I just think at this point in his career, Draymond got to start making better choices and understand that he's that much more valuable to his basketball team, a team that's already struggling defensively this entire season. You are the one person on that team that they go to from a defensive perspective. You can't put yourself in that situation in which the last seven minutes you're not in that ball game that's close and don't give your team an opportunity to win because you aren't on the floor. Yeah, it is wild thinking about how much they were trying to get under his skin and also yeah. how much it worked, you know, and that it's just it's it's insane to me only because to your point, we've seen Draymond pulled out a series before. We've seen what it means to the Warriors. We've talked so much about the emotion of Draymond and part of what makes him great is when he plays right on the line of that emotion. Uh, now the Kings are up two nothing in this series, and I'm looking around thinking, My God, what's gonna be next? You know, the Kings are up two nothing. Are the Warriors dead? We'll figure that out. Plus, give a little credit to something that Sacramento did that mattered a lot in this matchup. Next, Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. LeBron James and the L.A. Lakers storm for behind and win game one in Memphis. Now the Grizzlies face a critical game two. Will it be without an injured John Morant? Game two of the Lakers and Grizzlies, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins tomorrow at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. And Lundell drills it ahead. Intercepted by Orlov. He'll spin it up the middle. Now McAvoy. Left wing, Martian. Left circle, shoots. He scores! Brad Martian with a rich shot off a line. Glove and it trickles in. Bruins two, Panthers nothing. That's his 50th Stanley Cup playoff goal. Oh, chef's kiss on the call and the music sports hub on the call. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. We're only going to keep you updated on two things through the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs consistently. 
When the Bruins win and when the Golden Knights win. When they lose, we will not speak of it. It will be like Voldemort around here. We will not speak of it. Evan already chiming in with this look about what about the Rangers? Yeah, no. I mean, tell you what, we'll give, we'll give you a little love. Like a little love on the Rangers on the way. But when they lose, not being acknowledged. That music, though, means your Bruins are up. one nothing. Harry, how we feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I don't think the Bruins played their best game last night, but they were able to still win 3-1. Uh, Linus Umark, uh, the, the goalie for the Bruins, did a phenomenal job. But I also got to give some credit to Lyon, the goalie for the Florida Panthers, because there were like three or four times where I thought the Bruins were going to score a goal where he actually got some damn good saves. So got to give him a little credit, too. But the Bruins are just so strong. They were without their captain, Patrice Bergeron. He wasn't out there. Hopefully, moving forward, he'll be able to play and add to the dominance that we've seen from the Boston Bruins the entire year. That's my squad, Fitz. Yeah, uh, well, look, I'm all in on Vegas, but uh, my my wallet's all in on Boston. I uh, I put a tidy sum uh, yesterday on the Bruins to win. Uh, my, my, my Super Bowl winnings are starting to deplete, though, so I might need to stop putting tidy sums on any of it. Fitz and Harry <laughs> on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series. XM Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz uh, were presented by Progressive Insurance breaking down a lot here with the Warriors and Draymond Green. We await word from the league on what they're going to do uh, with Draymond after his ejection last night for uh, uh, for a kick, a stomp, if you will, uh, heard around the world. But I, I don't want A-town wanna, stomp. Uh, uh, A-town stomp, yeah. I think you can say that. It's a little uh, like uh, Draymond with the A-town stomp. Like It feels like a bad country music line dance when I say it. Sounds cool <laughs> when you say it, but in my mind it's like, do-si-do, everybody, it's time for for the A-Town stomp. All right. So I don't know why that just happened, uh, but I don't want to oversimplify it. Just your dancing is really quality. Uh, I don't want to just make it about the A-Town stomp. I also want to turn around and give a little credit to Sacramento. This game, and really through the first two games, Sacramento has had to survive runs by the Warriors where it looked like Golden State was going to do what Golden State does and just run away with it. They have counterpunched really, really well. And De'Aaron Fox, their superstar player that's really having a national coming out party at the press conference, talked about being proud of his team and overcoming adversity. Oh, extremely. Um, I mean, I think that that brought us together. HB brought us. uh, We huddled up and we're like, yo, we have to win this game, especially everybody thought he'd be ejected. So when that happens, you know, usually um, that team kind of comes together and goes on a run but uh, we were able to negate that and I think we finished the game uh, extremely well in those last few minutes Harry that's such awareness when you think about hey Draymond out they go on a run we got to be able to survive it and they did yeah De'Aaron Fox is the guy who's led this team the entire year Um, he's been that guy in the first two games in the NBA playoffs in which you know we haven't seen the Sacramento Kings in this situation in some time but He's the type of player, man, that can really alter and change the game because it's not like he's getting to the cup all the time. He's making some tough jump shots and being able to get those things to be knocked down, but also making some timely baskets when the Sacramento Kings need him uh, after the Warriors come back or or they hit a big shot. So I know they're thankful right now uh, for De'Aaron Fox, but also I think Davion Mitchell did a great job coming off the bench, adding 14. Harrison Barnes added his double double figures, and then Sabonis. Sabonis did a hell of a job last night scoring when he needed to score and just being a difference, difference maker as well on this basketball team. Um, I think the one person that I can probably say need to step it up a little bit more for the Sacramento Kings is Keegan Murray. Remember, Fitz, I told you, you know, this playoff thing is new to him. Uh, especially, well, it's new to just about a lot of guys on their team, but he's the rookie, right? So you're going to have those lulls from him. But as long as everybody else around him pick him up, I think this, this Sacramento Kings team is going to be fine. 
I also think, as we've echoed a few times, that Mike Brown and his awareness of this roster for the Warriors mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, particularly in moments like what we just heard De'Aaron Fox talk about. Like, A, you know how, if you're Mike Brown, you know how to get under uh, Draymond Green's skin. You know that, right? And if you're Mike Brown, you also know how this team, uh, this team being the Warriors, is going to respond to it. You can prepare for these things because you've seen it and you know who's charging what, who's putting the energy where, how it's going to happen. Like the amount of, of scouting essentially that happens from Mike Brown's familiarity with the Warriors, I think really plays a part in being a calming presence for a Sacramento team that, frankly, we said a week ago, I didn't know what to expect. You got a young team, hasn't been here before. I have no idea what we're supposed to expect in the playoffs. What we found out is that home court advantage has been absolutely massive. That crowd has been incredible. Mike Brown has had the pulse of the Warriors just absolutely figured out. And Sacramento has been able to play with a ton of energy and charge throughout the course of it. That's been fun to watch, Harry. I think Brown gets a lot of credit for that. No, I agree with you 110%, but here's the thing moving forward. Now they're about to go to the Chase Center, right? We know the Warriors are great at home, and we do know the Sacramento Kings 25 and 16 in the Western Conference on the road, the best record in the West. Now, I will say this. The Warriors, these first two games, I'll just look at yesterday's for an example. 22 turnovers that led to 25 points off of those turnovers for the Sacramento Kings. The Warriors need to take care of basketball better. You look at the first two games in this series. The Warriors missed 34 threes in the first game, 27 threes in the second game. You would expect that those threes are going to go in, uh, a lot of them, when they're at home playing. So you need to amp things up a little bit more if you're Sacramento. And Mike Brown, being their head coach and their leader, I don't think is anybody better right now in this situation to tell those guys and let them know what it's going to be like in that atmosphere because he has been with the Golden State Warriors the last six years. Yeah, I think there is this moment for me with all of it, to your point, that I want to give Sacramento all the credit in the world for the way they're playing. And I also want to be measured, if that makes sense, in what to expect next. Because frankly, as great as Sacramento has been, uh, this was a six-point lead for the Warriors in the first half uh, in Game mm-hmm. One, and I thought Sac- I thought the Golden State was going to pull away. They didn't. In the second half of this one, I thought there were a couple of moments that Golden State was going to pull away in Game Two. They didn't. Golden State finds weird ways to lose games on the road. This isn't a hot take. It's what you and I yelled about on first take. Like I don't trust the Warriors on the road. They just showed the world. Why I don't trust the Warriors on the road. Now we go home. And that's just, I know it's not a huge difference in the sense of it's only 90 minutes down the road, but I do think with Sacramento, I can look at it and say, wow, they've survived every single punch they've had to survive. They've been able to play through these these runs, which is huge when you're playing the Warriors, but now they're going to have to do it in Golden State. And I don't think it's wrong to look at this team as good as they've been all year and say, let me see that on the road before I believe it. Like, I'm just a bit of a proof of concept person. You know that. But I'll tell you this. Am I counting the Golden State Warriors out? Nope. I think this thing is going to go back to Sacramento with it tied 2-2. Oh. And then once it gets to that point, it's a brand new series. Anything could happen. And I want to see if it gets to 2-1. Are we going to have that pressure being felt from those guys on the Sacramento Kings who probably haven't been in this situation before? Because if the Warriors win that next game, which is game three, are they going to start pressing? Are they going to start feeling like, you know what? We've opened the door a little bit. Or are they going to put their foot on the gas and try to get the Warriors in Game Four at home? It's at the war at, at the Warriors at home. I should say. It's what's interesting to me about all that, Harry, is that so far every time I've thought that Sacramento had pressure, they play like they don't feel it. Will they play yeah. that way in Game Three? And then to your point, if this thing goes two one, like it just feels like every game at that point 
the stakes just raise higher and higher for Sacramento. I would love to see how they react in the pressure cooker. I just think it's also fair and reasonable to say I have no idea how they'll react in that pressure cooker. That's one of the like that's a discoverable that we still have to figure out throughout the course of uh, of this playoff run. We got a ton of NBA basketball we're going to get through throughout the course of today. Uh, a lot to get to not from just last night but also tonight. But in the meantime, the NFL draft is right around the corner. The question is, how long will the best player in the entire draft have to wait to hear his name? We'll answer it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The 2023 NFL Draft. So you ready for the draft? Let's get started. Live from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. The NFL Draft is officially open. It all begins with round one, Thursday, April 27th on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and on ABC. With the first pick. and Harry, the podcast. Mel Kuyper Jr., player profile. From a character standpoint, a work ethic standpoint, he is A++. Gives you everything he has. He's super dedicated, team leader, exceptional hand usage, impacts the run game and the pass game with his ability to get after the quarterback. Now, he's not as explosive with that first step, doesn't have the bend of a Von Miller or a Miles Garrett, but this is the kind of guy you want on your football team. Every single pick of the NFL draft will be seen on ESPN, will be heard on ESPN Radio. Candy and Carlin are going to do a great job. You can also hang out with me and Harry, Field Yates, Spencer Hall, Andrew Hawkins, a whole crew of us on digital, on all of our digital platforms. Last year, 10 million people watched our draft broadcast. Forever proud of the work we do every single year. Forever proud of the work we will do this year. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. And uh, look, I'm excited for this one because I will just read you this line. This is a line on the next guy we're going to talk to. He's a scheme-proof game wrecker with Pro Bowl potential. Don't tell me all about the quarterbacks because that's all we ever talk about. The best player in this year's draft by many people's minds is Will Anderson joins us right now. Will, appreciate your time, man. I know you've been doing the ESPN car wash, talking to everybody today. We can't wait to talk to you here. I'm interested because obviously you come from a program in Alabama that has so many kids that have made the leap. Have you been leaning on some of your former teammates and are now in the league to figure out how this process works? Um, just a little bit. I you know I got a little bit of advice from them, you know, how it's going to be. But I kind of just been learning on my own, you know, just trying to get my own experience and stuff like that. And it's been great, so I can't complain. Now, Will, tell everybody where you're from and what high school you went to. <laughs> I knew to. this was coming. I am from uh, Riverdale, Georgia, born and raised. And then I went to Dutchtown High School in Hampton, Georgia. Now, see, let me tell you why that's so significant. See, I went to Jonesboro High School, so I'm, I'm a Clayco. Mm-hmm. I'm a Clayco product as well. Glad to have you on the show. I got to <laughs> ask you, man, you grew up wanting to be a running back. Looking at how running yes, backs sir. are not getting paid right now, do you think you made the right decision? I made the absolute right decision. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so for you now, uh, playing, I mean, you get the opportunity to just knock quarterbacks on their butts. When I ask you about your college career, looking back at your favorite moments, what stands out to you as like one memory? Um, 
probably just winning the Natty my freshman year. I mean, like, getting a national championship your freshman year actually contribute to it. Just seeing all the confetti fall and, like, just your first year being in college, like, there's no other feeling like it. Okay, so you won the national championship your first year. You guys lost it to the Georgia Bulldogs in your second year. What mm-hmm. happened last year? What was so different about last year, more so than it was your first two years in college at Alabama? Yeah, I, most, I would just say, like, we most definitely had a really good team. You know, the guys are bought in. The guys are locked in. I just think, you know, just the mentality of just, like, the mental areas and locking in to just, like, sometimes the playbook and stuff like that. But, I mean, like, every day at practice, the guys were grinding. We worked hard. You know, we left it all on the field every day. And, you know, they was bought in. Like, even leadership was much easier this year than the, pre- the previous years where I was on um, the leadership team, whatever like that. And, um, like I said, just cutting down on the mental areas is one of the things that we really struggled with this year. We're talking to Will Anderson, Jr. out of Alabama, two-time All-American linebacker, going to be one of the top picks in the draft on Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. So, Will, uh, is it difficult when you walk through the draft process and essentially you spend months being overanalyzed by everybody in the world? I've got to imagine it's difficult hearing strengths and weaknesses from everybody and wanting to respond to them all. So when you see people breaking down your film, what's the hardest part of that? As far as, like, just my play or, like, what they're saying, like... Yeah, when people are just talking about the strengths and weaknesses you bring to the game. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you really know football, then you really know the what I bring to the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like you have to have a really good football mind of it. Like, people just sometimes watch highlights and stuff like that. But if you really dive deeper to the game, I mean, I'm a, like a very versatile player that can get the job done no matter what position they put me in. I mean, I played anything from a four-eye, five technique, six technique, seven technique non-technique, I played in space, um, I'm a, a pass rush, I can stop the run. So, like, just all, all those type of things, I feel like that kind of separates me from, like, most of the edge guys in this group, you know what I'm saying? And then just as far as weaknesses, I mean, I really don't listen to anybody else besides, if it's not, like, my coach or anything like that because I'm very – I have, like, great self-awareness of the things I need to work on. So anything anybody else is saying about me really goes in one ear out the other. And I think this during this whole process, that's kind of been the biggest thing. Like, when I'm talking to coaches, like – for me, like, I love the feedback of, yeah, you can do this really well, you can do that really well. But, like, I told every coach that I talked to since every meeting I've been in, I've always wanted to know, you know, from them. Because they're the, really the ones that, you know, are, you know, in a sense, recruiting you or just trying to get you, you know, what do I need to work on? And it's been great feedback. And it's stuff that I'm already aware of that what I need to work on. So, you know, that's just kind of how I look at it. Versatility is definitely the way to go when you talk about the NFL. But if you had to pick – you know, one particular spot or technique that you would like to play for you to be your best, which one of those would you pick? Oh, I'm on the edge all day. Five okay. technique, I'm on the edge all day. Put me in a wide nine, wide five, I'm good. Uh, we receivers like me trying to chip <laughs> me and stuff. I, oh, man, I don't want to see it. I mean, Will, uh, uh, the, the numbers I got here, six foot uh, three, uh, 253 pounds. You ain't chipping in, Harry. You, you're just, hey, Harry's not big. <laughs> Harry's just laying down letting him go pie, right, Harry? Well, I could try, but I, but I could try, but I may piss down my leg because I don't want to do it. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So, Will, obviously, uh, everybody knows your bio at this point. Uh, You've got four sisters. You've got a big family. How are you watching the draft? What's your plan for draft night? Yeah, I'll be in Kansas City. I got my official invite. Me and the family are going to be up there. So, we're looking forward to it. We're very excited. You got like a special fit? We're like, what are we doing on the fashion front, Will? Come on. Oh, come on now. Come on. Like, you know, it's going to be clean. It's going to be fly. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be, you know, you have to just wait to see it, but just know it's going to be clean. It's going to be fly. 
Now, I got to go back to something Fitz asked you earlier. He said, you know, a lot of people are overanalyzing you right now because the draft is coming up. Yeah. Well, don't act brand new. You used to that. You got nothing but sisters, my man. You are used <laughs> and accustomed to being overanalyzed. Talk about your family, man. I, yeah, how much they've meant to you, uh, not just through this process, but growing up and some of the things they've taught you as well. Yeah, most definitely. So, like, all my sisters were athletes. Like, I think people get confused when they hear. I was like, no, nah, I had a bunch of sisters that was athletes, and they had athletic bodies, so they were really big. It's like having five more moms in the house, but they were athletes, so they knew what it took, and they knew what comes with being an athlete, and they knew the type of criticism that you would always – so they were always very hard on me, you know what I'm saying? Even when I was slacking, they always like, all right, like you need to pick it up. And I think that's the biggest thing that I was always appreciated about my sisters. They always kept it real with me. When I was doing good, they let me know. But when I was doing bad, they also let me know that as well. And I think that helped me so well because, like, look, if I can take criticism from my sister, then I know anything else is going to be, you know what I'm saying? But they just kept it real with me. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I appreciate the most is just having, like, the people in my circle and the people that mean the most to me not kissing my butt, but, you know, being honest with me and letting me know when, you know, stuff not looking right. Okay, we're going to play a game really quick. We're going to play Pick Your Sister. Pick which one of your sisters fit this bill. Who is the most easygoing, the one that you can talk to the most? Denise. Okay, who is the most stricter one? Shantae in India. Who is the most loving? Shanice and Riri. Well, all of them are loving. They're all loving. That was a good answer. Okay, we'll cover that one. Which one would feed you the most? Oh, probably it has to be between Shantae and Shanice, my two oldest sisters. Ding, ding. Great job, my I, I got to ask you, too, like, because I love that when, when I'm doing all the bio work, getting ready for the draft, everybody keeps referring to your dad as Big Will. You're huge. How big is Big Will? Big Will is not Little Will now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, oh that's, you know what, Will, you just made my entire day. Oh, Dude, uh, number one, most importantly, try and enjoy this process. Uh, every time we get to talk to kids that are being drafted, like it is such a special moment. You've worked your ass off to get to where you are. Uh, we can't wait to watch your name get called selfishly. I still hope that somehow, someway, my beloved Raiders end up uh, with you because – I think you're the best player in this damn draft. So we really appreciate you hanging wait out. Wait a minute, with, oh, but sorry, no, just sorry. wait go before ahead. we let them we go. Got, uh, we'll let them know. Georgia, stand up, baby. Them Georgia boys different, baby. We different. Uh, Georgia, stand up. Yeah. Right. Yes, sir. Well, appreciate you hanging out with us, brother. Have a great draft. Enjoy the process. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Have a nice day. That's Will Anderson, Jr. from Alabama. Uh, Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. Round out your protection with life, phone, and pet health insurance. I'm just telling you, Harry, like, you know what? People always ask me. I get hit up in my mentees all the time. Like, oh, if the Raiders could get anybody. Will Anderson, Jr. Like, if the Raiders could get anybody, stop the next. The answer to the question is Will Anderson. You put Will in with Max. Oh, my my God. Like, I'm just telling you, I don't need offense. Forget offense. Big Willie and Mad Max? Uh, You know he big wheel now. He big wheel now. (laughs) 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 All right. One spot where Will Anderson could be a major difference maker. We'll tell you next. Uh, Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. As we storm toward the NFL draft. So you ready for the draft? Let's get started. It's time to look at every team's ceiling. Like the ceiling can hold us. And every team's floor. This is Ceiling and Floor. The ceiling is the roof. On Fitz and Harry.
You know the drill. We're going to tell you the ceiling or the floor for a couple of teams. One in the AFC, one in the NFC. We've been doing this every day to get you ready for the NFL Draft. I'm Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. And uh, all right, we're going to let Devin control the magic here. Devin, what are we getting first? The Arizona Cardinals. Oh, Lord. Oh, They're going to need the Lord. <laughs> Let me go ahead and start right there. <laughs> you know what? Let me go ahead and take it over, Fitz. Uh, I think the ceiling for this team is six wins. The floor for this team, one win. That simple. They lost a lot of people uh, defensively, to, well, important people. You talk about, you know, Zach Allen going out in free agency, J.J. Um, Watt retiring. Also, you look at Buda Baker, their star safety requested a trade. DeAndre Hopkins is potentially going to be traded as well. There's so much to overcome at this moment. Kyler Murray won't be the quarterback because he's coming off an injury. So there's so much to overcome for this, for this football team. Jonathan Gannon, their new head coach, and also Monty Osenfort, their new general manager. They have a lot to overcome these next few years because I think they're starting out behind the eight ball with this team. Yeah, I think the ceiling is three wins, <laughs> four wins. What? Three? Yeah, I'm going to go three. The ceiling's three wins. For, I don't even think they're going to be trying. They're just going to mass. I think that's why players like Buda Baker want out. They looked around and realized that this team is going to be in full tank mode. The floor is Caleb Williams. The first overall pick, I, right now as we sit today, I would be stunned if the Arizona Cardinals don't have the first overall pick in next year's draft, which means if you're going to pass on a quarterback this year, you better understand that you're not going to get number one next year because Arizona is like that. At this point, when they win a game, it'll be glory, glory, hallelujah. Like they'll bring in a whole choir for it. Everybody will be stunned. Uh, and then the real question will be, what do you do with Kyler Murray's contract and what is his value moving forward? So uh, it's it, it, the Cardinals are just in absolute rebuild mode, which is fine. I think they've embraced being in rebuild mode. Well, I also think this is a, a very important time frame for Kyler Murray as well. Right to show this Why, new general new manager I'm just and also head coach that you know he wants to be there and 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 show them his learning habits and the way he studies and that whole nine because if they do get the number one a second overall draft pick he potentially could be traded if they decide to pick a guy there but if they're if he's everything that they you know expected him to be and want him to be they can also do some other things with that first pick like trade it away if they like if Kyler Murray isn't their guy or if he is their guy they can keep him. Yeah, it's going to be wild to see what happens with the Kyler Murray trade rumors by midseason for Arizona when they're yep. 0-11 and losing by 30 points. It just it feels like they're going to be bad this year. All right, Devin, who do we got next in our ceiling or the floor exercise? The Denver Broncos. Oh, what? Ooh. Did you guys just reach into a barrel of suck today to pick the these The Denver teams? Broncos. We just like <laughs> looked around and thought, oh, well, let's just scrape the bottom of the barrel. The bottom of the barrel. The Denver Broncos. We can go lower. Tomorrow we have the Raiders. Wow. I mean, let me be so clear here. I think the ce- we're going to do the Raiders tomorrow, but I'll just give you this little sneak peek. I think the ceiling for the Raiders is sixth place, and I think the floor for the Raiders is still third in the AFC West. Uh, I do that is not, not the, the team Denver that we're on right now. I'm telling Would you, you that, focus I'm telling on the you, task at hand. I'm telling you that's how little <laughs> I believe in the Denver Broncos. Like, I, 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 I'm done. I'm out. Uh, there's just no Well, you said no the Raiders. Did you mean the well, Denver no, Broncos? No, no, no. I'm saying that I think the Raiders are going to suck, and they're still going to be better than the Broncos. The Broncos are the worst team in the AFC West by far. Their, their ceiling's, I don't know, four wins. Their floor's two. <laughs> I'm out on the so Broncos. I'm, I'm going to go the ceiling for the Denver Broncos. I'm going to go seven wins. Oh, you said uh, Because I do believe in Sean Payton, right? This offensive line 
was not the best. They gave up the most sacks in the National Football League last year. They addressed that with two of those spots in Ben Powell's and Mike McGlinchey. Also, I like the fact that they brought over some RGP run from the Cincinnati Bengals, a running back that they can trust and pair up with Javante Williams. So we know, you know, Sean Payton is going to be uh, balanced on offense. We know the football is going to get out of their hands quickly. I think Drew Brees under Sean Payton, I think, averaged 21 sacks per year. That's exactly what the Denver Broncos are going to be. Now, I don't think it's going to be that low, uh, but I think the floor for them, because they are in the division with Justin Herbert, along with Patrick Mahomes. I think it might take a year. So I'm going to go the floor. I'm going to go five wins. The ceiling is seven wins. The floor is five wins. I think long-term Sean Payton is going to be just fine. I, I really do. I, yeah. I also think that Russell Wilson is not Drew Brees. And as much as we can look at what Drew Brees and Sean Payton accomplished together, I'm not going to apply any of that to Russell Wilson until we actually see that happen. That's fair. And That's fair. every year there's so there's talent on the Broncos roster. And every year I look around and I think, you know what? They're going to gel together and they're going to be fine. I just, I'm done with that. I, I, I think they spent a lot of money on pretty good but not amazing talent on the offensive line. I think that the price paid for some of that was a little astonishing to me. Uh, so I, I think the Broncos got better, but they still weren't very good. And they're going to have to go through a whole culture change of learning a new coach, learning a new system. And to your point, the AFC West belongs to the Chiefs and the Chargers next year. The Raiders and the Broncos will be battling for the basement in, in that in, entire division to me. So like, I, I would love to see this world where Sean Payton comes in and is just dominant as a coach. But he doesn't have Drew Brees. So I, like, my expectations are substantially lower for Sean Payton and the Broncos than most people's. Now, let me say this. I do believe that Sean Payton is not going to have the football in you know, Russell Wilson's hands a lot. That's why the run game you know, for any team that he's coaching on is very valuable. He's going to have that two-headed monster. He's going to be able to have those guys you know, try to complement the pass game because he wants to you know, eventually be balanced offensively. You just don't want to rely on a guy like Russell Wilson, especially what you've seen last season. So if you take the football out of his, out of his hands a little bit more and you're able to rush the football effectively – I think everything else sets up off of that. And there's a weird pressure, I think, around just Sean Payton deciding that that was his gig, that everyone's going to expect yeah. him to come in and suddenly be a miracle worker. And I, I, I just think patience is a virtue for Denver. Do I, again, I believe Sean Payton long-term can turn around what the Broncos are doing. I just I think the, the Broncos and the Raiders are eerily similar in the sense that they're both in the middle of a two-year rebuild where they have enough talent to not be bad enough to, to be terrible, but they don't have enough talent to actually win. And at some point, that teeter-totter ends up going the wrong way. So, uh, yeah, and, and sneak peek, we'll do the Raiders tomorrow. I won't be kind to them either before Broncos fans are just like, oh, he's a hater. Oh, don't worry, uh, yeah. me either. Wow. Wow. Has one dynasty come to a crashing halt like our friendship? We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 